You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. And we're here tonight. Thank you all for joining us to talk about another Cardinals victory. We've got two in a row, the first win streak for the team since the year 2017, if you can believe it. The last two games of the year, uh, Giants game, which I was at, and the Seahawks game, both won, oddly enough, by Drew Stanton. Uh, we're not talking Drew Stanton tonight. We'll be talking Kyla Murray. And with me to talk about Murray Mania is the co-host of the pod, uh, the venerable John Venerable, at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. John, how are you doing tonight? Woo, winning streak. Didn't expect yeah. it, Blake. Doing well. Uh, it's good to be recording back-to-back weeks to talk about a Cardinal victory, which have been unfortunately few and far between so this is going to be a fun one it was a victory that you and I both predicted probably more with our hearts than our minds you know I think this was one of the games before the season started with when you talk about the noticeable mismatches on both ends um, the Falcons were considered I don't even want to say a dark horse contender Super Bowl contender I think a lot of people had expectations that this team would at least contend for a playoff spot, if not more, given that the talent they had and, and wrote off the team from a year ago based on injuries. For them to, to walk away with a victory, I know it's at home. I, I think it's one of the biggest developments we've had in Arizona in probably two years, and that's, that's saying something right. considering that these kind of victories used to be the norm, but a, a lot to dissect. But uh, Cardinal fans should feel good about this one. This one especially more so than the Bengal game really kind of showcased what this team could be moving forward specifically on the offensive end. It it was an exciting afternoon of football. Yeah, what was great, I think, about the team was the way it got off to a start was not the greatest for the Cardinals because you got to see the Falcons drive downfield. Cardinals at the end of the first quarter only had three points. They had a field goal, scored outside the red zone, so you didn't end up seeing the uh, typical ugly red zone things technically rear their head. But the big shift for the game came in that second quarter. You're talking about 17 points. The Cardinals effectively were able to score two touchdowns in the red zone. They had another field goal that was kicked as well. Uh, it was great to be able to see the team essentially not, not quite move the ball at will, I could say, but it really felt like they were able to capitalize and take advantage of a Falcons defense that was susceptible, especially deep. And they're also able to take advantage of a few play calls. You have the, uh, I should say, a few review non-review errors by the referees you had a deep pass to Trent Shurfield that looked like he only got one foot down the team ran the ball and then you had a non-fumble by Demir Bird on a deep pass longest pass play of the year from Kyler Murray the referees didn't see enough evidence to overturn either of those so John what were your thoughts on those calls because it's been a lot of talks I know with the refereeing and everything even uh, we're recording this on a Monday night a lot of people are talking about the calls that hose the Lions and there's another call late in the game that we'll get to as well that also fell in the Cardinals favor 
Um, the team said it was almost like Bill Bidwell himself was maybe influencing the calls. What, I like that. Your, yeah, what were some of your thoughts at least? Did, was this kind of a fluke? Was it the Cardinals just took advantage of it? What were some of your thoughts at least on not just the big plays that we were able to finally see from Murray, but just the way of how the things fell the right way for Arizona to take advantage? Yeah, I, I, they benefited from a number of different calls. I think none more so than the fumble call uh, after the long pass completion to Demir Bird. That was clearly a fumble. I don't, I don't know what the officials were doing. I think maybe they they opted to rule it um, or rule Bird down by contact, based on the fact that if you rewatch that play, Bird was essentially being held down by the Atlanta defenders, so he was unable to go and recover the ball in the end zone. And I think maybe they, they looked at that and said, you know what, we blew the play dead after the fact. He was really given no opportunity. That should have been a penalty on the Atlanta player. Hmm. And, the, and they said, all things considered, let's just rule him down. Um, so the, the Cardinals were a huge benefactor. And then, you know, a couple of plays later, it looks like they could have squandered that opportunity. Thankfully, they converted it into a touchdown. But man, I, I, at the end of the day, I mean, the NFL and the margin for error is so razor, razor thin that, you know, it's unfortunate when games are decided by the officials. I don't think that was the case in this one, but I, I do think, let's say, the long completion of Trent Sherfield for, for 38 yards on the opening drive for the Cardinals, I mean, that was borderline um, incomplete based on him getting his feet in bounds, and they didn't review that. That wasn't challenged by Atlanta. Cardinals were able to quickly get off another play. So I don't know if it was just – Man, Atlanta, for whatever reason, showed kind of a lack of urgency, specifically in the first half, and the Cardinals took full advantage. So they've been on the receiving end of that, you know, more often than not. So it was nice to see the football gods kind of gift them uh, a couple opportunities and for the Cardinals, for the most part, to take advantage, specifically offensively. We never really had that prototypical red zone blunder that we've seen in previous Mm. weeks. The, The opening drive, they took down for a field goal, but like you mentioned on Twitter, Blake, they got to the to the 21 yard line. So technically not, not a red zone opportunity squandered, but from there, you know, it was a, it was a touchdown. uh, I think two touchdowns in the second quarter, another touchdown in the third quarter and another touchdown in the fourth quarter. So four touchdowns on the day, of course, is a season high. First time they eclipsed 30 points since October of 2017 against uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. Um, And it was a long time coming. I think a lot of us saw the writing on the wall, the fact that the Cardinals have been so close for so many weeks in the red zone against competent NFL defenses, and now they get one of the worst statistical defenses in the league at home, Um, and that being the Falcons who look ready to give up on this season. I I think most of us knew what the Cardinals were capable of doing, especially when you talk about the inclusion of the two-back feature with Chase Edmonds and David Johnson, how effective that was against Cincinnati. You knew the Cardinals were going to try to build off of that. They did. Murray had his most efficient game as an NFL passer, 27 for 37, you know, 340 yards, three touchdowns. He was fantastic. Again, Cardinals were able to run the ball semi-effectively, were over 100 yards. But at the end of the day, Blake, it it was the complete, offensive performance that I think we were waiting on just you know for whatever reason god forbid that it it takes a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback to get a couple you know games under their feet before they're off and running but I I think the people that were critical of this team and their red zone and efficiency could at least say okay they're putting enough together to get to 20 the 20 yard line to the opposite 20 yard line let's Mm -hmm. clean up some penalties let's clean up some protection and it's going to come to fruition and that's what we've that's what we've seen um, lately against ball, or excuse me, Cincinnati, and then of course against Atlanta. So, 
uh, you know, we'll get to the defense, but I, I think at the end of the day, when you're seeing an offense that was historically poor a season ago, 32nd ranked across the board, now entering not only the middle of the pack, but the top 10 in multiple statistical categories. They're 10th in um, total yards. They're 11th or 12th in rushing. They're 11th in passing. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable turnaround that I think we eventually saw would take place or thought would take place maybe by season's end, but goodness, uh, you're not even halfway done with the season and this offense is primed for a top 10 finish, Blake, and gives us every reason to be positive because it has to do uh, exclusively with the additions of Murray and Kingsbury. Yeah, the uh, big talk I know we had a few weeks ago and entering this game was the play of the offensive line. And they finally had a clean game, John. They finally had a game where Murray did not take, I believe there was only one sack that he had falling away. Um, unless I'm mistaken, at least, that they were coming. But because he was able to get down, it did not register as a sack. So by having that clean game, we were able to show that uh, and some, also you all had a clean game because of an incredible athletic play that Murray made of being able to sense pressure from behind, move up in the pocket, spin around almost in a circle, and then reset and find Larry Fitzgerald down the field. It was a highlight throw, one of those kind of, you know, if this is college, you call it one of those Heisman moment type of throws. It's something straight out of like the air raid, um, maybe even going back to Cliff's, um, you think of the Johnny football play that was against Alabama, one of those type of just really quality plays you're able to make of creating. Um, what I saw a lot, John, was that there's a reason why these teams are bad as far as with their record. What I did see at least though, is that there's more room for Arizona fans to be optimistic about the future and what they're building. Whereas Atlanta, it feels kind of more of like the end of an era in a lot of ways you saw a sequence that for me summed up part of why these teams have struggled where the Cardinals, uh, kicked the ball out of bounds. The Falcons were 10 yards away. They started at the 40-yard line. And then they immediately have multiple penalties to put them in first and 25. And then the crux of what comes down to, at least, is a young young players for the Cardinals step him up and making plays. And that would be Byron Murphy with a huge tackle that jarred the pigskin loose. He was on Julio Jones. Julio did not cross 100 yards receiving for the day. Um, really, it was a great effort overall I think I don't know whether it was Byron's play or the game plan that was at work now later in the game obviously the second half was a different story but the fact that the Cardinals were able to repeat what they did last week in the Bengals game and limit the Falcons to 10 points in the first half that was a big win right there because when they did start scoring those two touchdowns that put them in a much better place to be able to you know be able to take a lead into the second half now there was kind of a controversial thing as far as that there was a red zone stall at the end of the half and that would be Cliff Kingsbury's decision to kick the ball on third down take no chances he even said post game that um, Kyler was had the ball batted in one of the plays he said he got a little bit spooked uh, that was the only thing that I really found that I disagreed with with him for much of the day he did end up running for it I know once or twice on uh, once at least for sure and fourth down would have gone for it again it was an interesting call just because you know if you go for four points there and I kind of I, I had to do the math at least if you go for the touchdown you get it there you look at the end of the game you've got an extra four points and the Falcons are having to onside kick it to you while they're down four points instead when their offense picked back up in the second half as is one to do with his Cardinals defense who ended up with a potential tied game um, in the end overall though it didn't end up mattering as uh, 
you know, whatever it was with that, whether it was just fate falling the Cardinals way, whether it was Bill Bidwell, um, the extra point was missed. Cardinals end up with a one point lead. Falcons do not choose to trust their kickover for another onside kick, kick it back to Arizona. And then you had the final call, which in my opinion, John, the Cardinals, if they did have a tie and you're getting it back to Kyler Murray, there's a lot of things that could go right or wrong. But ultimately, as long as the Cardinals didn't throw a pick six or fumble it away, you're still going to overtime and you're at home. The Falcons may have some of the momentum, but anything games we've seen can happen in overtime. And all the Cardinals needed was a field goal. So I felt like it was a great job of Cliff Kingsbury of managing the game and especially getting involved all of the playmakers in the right time to use them too. You got to see... Um, Chase Edmonds, when David Johnson couldn't punch it in and a pass play for two yards, David Johnson did get his rushing touchdown later from the one, but also using him downfield matched up on a linebacker for a clutch play. David makes sure that he runs into the guy just enough that he'll draw that DPI flag. Um, as it was pretty obvious Cardinals end up with a 34 27 lead at the end. Now I think overall, the biggest thing that fans have wanted, and this is something I noticed that. Uh, Kent Summers came out and was kind of, I guess you could say, ragging on the defense a lot. And a lot of fans, I think, are just not really ready to hear that because this is a game where the Cardinals scored 34 points. The offense was able to put up some 440 yards. Really, even though it was a bad defense, they did what they were supposed to. And that's something that so far this season, we kind of haven't seen that, John. This team has been the underdog in each of their different games. This is a game where we thought that it would be kind of split or even end give credit to them. They at least locked it up and they did win the game. And now you're facing a Giants team next week on the road that has another rookie quarterback, has had defensive struggles, and while they're getting Saquon Barkley back, are we looking at potentially a possible start to a three-game win streak where the Cardinals could start stacking more wins? Yeah, I mean, I thought that the Cardinals had a a legitimately better shot to win um, this weekend uh, against the New York Giants than I, I did against Atlanta, even though I picked the Cardinals uh, on this pod last week. But I, I do think they match up exceptionally well with, with the uh, New York Giants as they stand right now. Now we'll see if Saquon Barkley's healthy. Evan Ingram has been out. Um, Sterling Shepard has been concussed, I think, multiple times this year, so he's not expected to play. They're still trying to mm-hmm. uh, include Golden Tate um, you know, into their offense. He had a nice long touchdown against New England on a tip pass. But – they're, they're an offense that has consistently, you know, underperformed this year as much as you can with it, with a team with limited resources. Um, I, I think the Cardinals um, do win this game. I think they put together a three-game winning streak, which is essentially unheard of. But I'm going to read you off um, a series of their, their win-loss records for the year. So they, they opened up, were embarrassed by the Dallas Cowboys, 35-17, to lost to a very physical Buffalo Bills team. 28 to 14 mm-hmm. then had their back-to-back wins for the season their their lone highlights they were losing big to 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 the Buccaneers came back and won 32 31 so the rare offensive explosion and then they, yeah, they the Bucks beat, defense has been bad this year too. yeah like, absolutely that's the one thing at least it's kind of a caution the first game or each of those first games with rookie quarterbacks I, I know John we've talked about some of this we haven't got to see it but the first game with Rosen and the first game with Murray are such fluky games when you look at it overall because Josh should have had 300 yards and three touchdowns against mm-hmm. the Seahawks defense and Murray essentially had that huge fourth quarter comeback and then so there's a lot of these kind of first time games which are, seem to be fluky one way or the other it's it's hard 
hard to be able to predict. And that's kind of looked like an outlier for Jones the last few weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a, a wake up call. You play the Vikings, uh, albeit at home, you, you get your, your butt, your butt kicked 28 to 10. Then of course that Patriots game, uh, 35 to 14, uh, they got their, I think at least one of their touchdowns off of um, a interception or a deflection off of Tom Brady or a pump block. I can't remember which, which of the two. And then of course, Golden Tate had that flute touchdown. So they, they really shouldn't have scored last week. Um, again, I, I do think they're going to get Saquon Barkley back this week and Evan Ingram, according to ESPN is pretty optimistic about returning. Um, that's one of those scenarios in which, the Cardinals, who, of course, are bringing back Patrick Peterson uh, this week, may just want to have him shadow Evan Ingram, given the current state of the, the wide receivers <laughs> for the New York Giants. But uh, I just think, you know, uh, defensively, the Cardinals have, you know, one of the most, um, you know, unimpressive units in the league. I think right now they stand 29th or 30th overall in total defense. And, you know, to, I'll, I'll actually give them credit against Atlanta. They held that team to 10 points, to, you know, after after one half i i thought that that was a pretty impressive outing considering the falcons were essentially shut down for after the first drive until the till the second half um and then the cardinals got pretty conservative offensively and by that i mean they got away from what they were doing that was effective and that's mixing in the 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 rpo the run pass option and they got a little bit too cute for my liking that's the only time i'm going to criticize cliff kingsbury uh and then the falcons took advantage so, so give them credit but you think about the the plethora of skill players that the Falcons had um, Calvin Ridley would be the best receiver on this Giants team as would um, of, of course, Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu's, uh, you know, really underrated player, Devonte Freeman's tremendous, you know, Austin Hooper's I, I think a better player than Evan Ingram right now. And then of course, Matt Ryan is superior to Daniel Jones. If the Cardinals, in my opinion, can force God forbid a turnover for um, Daniel Jones, who has been known to throw, picks this year i think he's got uh more interceptions actually than he does touchdowns that's correct yeah. um, they're, they're gonna have a chance to win this game I, I do think this is the week that they're gonna get off the the schneid with their turnover issues and we kind of predicted that last week we didn't think four percent against atlanta they didn't they still ended up winning i do think they're gonna get a break this week and, and potentially force one because right now this is a team that's playing with uh, a renewed sense of I, I I guess optimism with the return of Peterson and then offensively, this is also a unit now that feels like they have to score in every possession and they, and they can do so. Um, they played uh, two, uh, three, a uh, really tough three game stretch against what we now think are all going to be playoff teams. They lost closely to the Baltimore Ravens. The Carolina game was eye opening because it was a backup, and now he's rattled off four straight wins. And Seattle looks like one of the classes of the NFC. Uh, would it surprise you if all three of those teams made made deep postseason runs? It wouldn't surprise me, just given the talent level. And the Cardinals, for the most part, hung with all of them until late. Then they get their two wins um, over the course of the last two weeks, and now moving into a stretch where the Giants game after this week. Really looks like the most winnable game until you face the Buccaneers in early November. This is one I think the Cardinals, I don't want to say have to have, but man, if you exit week seven and you are essentially 500 on the year, three wins, three losses, and a tie, that, that's a hell of a job by Cliff Kingsbury. All oh, yeah. things considered where this roster is you right match now. your win total from last year in the first what, seven games for the most part. That would and be I just, a great step forward. I just think with the – you know, we'll talk about Kyler and, and the fact that 
He's just matured at such a quick level on the field based on those first couple series against Detroit. And now he's, you know, we, we consistently just assume he's going to throw for 300 run for, you know, 50 to 75 and put up a handful of scores. It just, it just shows you that number one, I think he's a legitimate mismatch for most NFL defenses. Um, And he, he, the league is going to have trouble containing him if he's given the kind of protection he was given on Sunday. Um, and, you know, say what you want about the Falcons defense. They've got talent on their defensive line. We've talked about Grady Jarrett, you know, Vic Beasley. It's kind of a shell of what he used to be, but he, you know, is still under contract and, you know, going after people on Sunday. Dayon Jones is a nice player at linebacker. So I just, I think that the Fal- it's a combination of the Falcons kind of p- playing underperforming given their skilled talent and the, the Cardinals really finding themselves offensively. And I think Cliff Kingsbury had, had probably called his best game as an NFL coach. And I, I think that that, that Christian Kirk injury, which we, I think we assume he's going to return this week, the injury kind of allowed Kingsbury to not get more conventional, conventional offensively, but allowed him to kind of focus more on the running game, two back sets. And that's what really has and the 12 personnel, the 13 yeah. personnel, even there's Mason Cole on the field for a few of those plays. As it is, well. it is really kickstarted their offense. And I think that they're going to be stronger for it in the long run. And if Kirk comes back this weekend, hopefully he can seamlessly transition into what the Cardinals are doing so well. But I think I heard Kingsbury say in his press conference today that almost every play now they have, there's a run pass option. I mean, that is, that is really difficult to defend, and with Murray's accuracy, his arm strength was on display. You know, I, I think the Cardinals win this game against the Giants, and I think they take a three-game winning streak into the Superdome. It would be disappointing for me at this point if if they don't. And that just that that those kind of expectations are 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 great to have this point in the season. Yeah, expectations, I think, are the biggest thing about this team. Um, They're being raised weekly, which is better than having it be lowered weekly, like as we've talked about. Uh, What's crazy is how when you're talking about what Murray has done, where, you know, he had a game where there was three touchdowns he accounted for, zero interceptions. He right now, I believe, has the least amount of turnovers in the NFL of any quarterback, which when you're talking about a rookie and who started off with, you know, an interception in that game and ended up having, you know, the same number of touchdowns as picks, shows he's not turning the ball over and Sunday's win against the Falcons was a huge mark for the team Uh, it was the first time since November of 2009 so we're talking about the Kurt Warner era Cardinals had 400 yards of offense with zero sacks and zero turnovers so you're talking about at least a quarterback who already has mastery of the offense the fourth down play where I think it was Charles Clay that was a run option the Cardinals confirmed that at least afterwards that Murray checked out of that option notice was like hey I can see where the defense is Charles Clay was wide open over into the flat he just dumped it off to him it was one of those savvy veteran type moves and it's easy to forget that this is a guy who's had well, basically one year of being the starter in college has come in and has still progressed so much game to game. So that's what I think is most impressive about overall with Murray, but it is also a testament to Cliff Kingsbury. And not only is he actually developing Kyler, you're seeing Kyler learn where you're like, Hey, the first week to now you're talking about throwing a pick where now he throws the ball away, a screen pass that's blown up. He throws it at their feet. And then also just with some of the different read plays, but you're, I think even more over talking about a head coach who 
is adapting to the personnel that he has because that's something we talked a lot about with Steve Wilkes. We said Steve Wilkes is kind of forcing their defense. They're making Peterson play off coverage. We even talked about how on the offensive side of the ball, they were running David Johnson up the middle so much that it wasn't making the best use of their strengths. And in here we're seeing how there's a maturation process, not just for Kyler, but also for Kingsbury as well from you know, the decisions he's making of kicking lots of points and getting the field goals. Now he's going for it a lot more often on fourth down. What I did want to point out, and I even noticed this today, was one of the ways he's adapted to the personnel is just in the wide receivers. You're talking about you've got Larry Fitzgerald essentially playing the possession receiver type role. They're not using him as much as a deep threat. They used the two guys in Sherfield and Bird as deep threats earlier today. But what stood out to me was the number of touchdowns that we have. And I got the number right here. But you see that the Cardinals have had right now four touchdowns have gone. And this is just in receptions only. We're not even talking about rushes. Four of them have gone to the uh, – I believe it's four of them have gone to the running backs this year. And then you're talking about – I believe it's three that have gone to the – I think it's two that I know at least have gone to uh, Larry Fitzgerald. And there's three total. And there's one that has gone to the tight end. So when we're talking about the receptions for that one. You're talking at outside of the one touchdown, which is beautifully, it was a, a lot of teams like to use to kind of throw back to the tight end, but it was just well drawn up to be able to pull everyone to the right-hand side, spreading that out, clearing the middle of the field. You're talking about Cliff essentially using his running backs like wide receivers. That pass play to David Johnson was him out of the slot. And I think that says one thing. It says that that's a guy who's willing to be humble, willing to say, hey, we can't keep running this 10 personnel. He's accepting that Max Williams is one of the best talented 11 players on the field on offense and that his two running backs are also two of the best 11 players in the field. So he's not limiting himself to this idea of the 10 personnel. But it also says to me that, John, like if the Cardinals don't get that lucky call from the Sherfield um, where he's probably out of bounds and they don't get that and if that – big pass play is overturned Kyler probably doesn't hit 300 passing yards and the wide receivers for that one are not hauling in all those passes like outside of Fitzgerald there wasn't really a whole lot to notice or see Keyshawn Johnson was kind of invisible in the game outside of a really good um, catch and run that he had I just feel like that the team is still missing Christian Kirk but we get to at least see that hey they're not dead we're doomed without him which is one of the best things you can say about Murray say about this team it yeah. also shows about where they are now they're able to put up 34 points without effectively being able to have like a solid wide receiver core like the Falcons with Sanu Julio and Calvin Ridley they put up 33 points like that is a huge statement I think to the flexibility of Cliff in this offense and how the Cardinals have a lot of brightness, I think, ahead of them. As soon as they can get this defensive situation figured out, I think that you're just going to be adding pieces at this point yeah. to the team on the roster. And that's exciting because you've got the main two core pieces and you feel like you can win with them even in adverse conditions right now. There's that confidence that you're going to have. And the team, I think, is gaining more confidence each week. Yeah, I think w with regard to this receiver position, you're finding that they are fielding majority of possession receivers on the roster. The the only position that or only player that really has the, the capable outside speed right now is Isabella, who got 
some increased snaps, but still doesn't have a catch for the year. Yeah. I think that there's guy. Oh, yeah, I know. Right. Guy. He, he was wide open twice for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Once was there was the deep passing play where Murray sailed it over the head of Sherfield, which it was intended for Isabella. And he was looked like he was open, but there was a blown, I believe Tack McKinley got past DJ Humphreys. The second, the uh, Tom Brenham on the broadcast even called it out where Andy Isabella ran a jet sweep. No one followed him. Tom Brenham was like, Isabella's wide open. And Murray instead tosses it out to Chase Edmonds, who's also wide open because yeah. Falcons defense is that bad. And that's, yeah, I think, I think account I, it was a bad defense, but they still did what they needed to do. Yeah. He's been implemented more and more. I just hope that the inclusion of Kirk here in the coming weeks doesn't mean he gets phased out even more. At least he's seeing the field now, which is more than you can say for the first, I don't know, two or three games to begin the season. But you know, Demir bird being back, you can tell he's got legitimate deep speed. He beat two Atlanta defenders to, to haul in that pass, but they're just too inconsistent right now outside of Fitz and Fitz doesn't have the, the separation that he, that he once was uh, that, that he used to have. And so until that they are able to tackle that in the off season, or hopefully Kirk matures into, into that kind of player uh, and still could this year, I, I still think he's got one or two deep balls in him for, for the remainder of 2019, that being deep touchdowns. We saw that with Rosen a year ago you're going to have to look to the draft to, to address that position or, you know, hopefully Isabella or Hakeem Butler come 2020. But, you know, I, I just, I think at the end of the day, they're making the most, like you said, of what they have and what they have is they've got, you know, two very capable running backs, one of which in David Johnson, who, who in my opinion is the best pass catching back in the NFL right now. Um, so you're utilizing their strengths. Edmonds looks like, you know, for a kind of a throwaway fourth rounder last year, looks like a steal Looks like he could be a very capable every down back. We'll see where that goes, but I absolutely think that you you continue to lean heavily on those uh, those two individuals, and that that brings you know Murray back into the picture of being able to settle in and throw darts from the pocket. I think you get away too much from the run game, you get too pass happy, and they start to tee off on him. Uh, the biggest reason I think for the the decreased amount of, of pressures and sacks, I don't think the the Falcons had one hit down, much less a sack on Murray is the fact that they're keeping the defense honest in the run game. And so continue to do that, continue to really, it's, it's demoralizing. The Cardinals were super effective on third down. They were seven for 13. Um, they, of course, you know, they've been aggressive with their fourth down calls in recent weeks, you know, Murray hitting that out route to, to Charles Clay for the first down on fourth and two to keep a drive going. It just it shows you, again, a maturation of the offense with Kingsbury and Murray. It shows you they're adapting, um, and I, I think they'll continue to evolve. This is not going to be the same offense in three or four weeks or even right. next season. And I think you're, you're seeing you know, a coach that was labeled as a college coach that could only run one specific scheme, the air raid, and he could never win in college. He's, he's showcasing right now, at least from an offensive standpoint in the NFL, that he does have what it takes to put up big-time numbers. If they finish – if they finish in the top 10 in offense with, with this team, with this talent, I don't care what the record is. I think Kingsbury should be considered for coach of the year. He won't be, but just you and I, Blake, Cardinal fans saw this, this unit last year, how horrifically bad it was. And you're essentially taking the same group of guys all a year older mm-hmm. um, and, and making it into a top 10 unit essentially overnight is unbelievable. But you mentioned the defense, Blake, and we'll get into it now. Um, I think that really at the end of the day, it's more personnel than it is scheme, although the scheme needs to be improved. Peterson will help. But I, I thought the, the biggest um, you know, concern for me, leaving that game, watching that game on Sunday night on replay, 
Um, we know that the defensive line lacks talent. We know the secondary is starting essentially three rookies um, and a bunch of replacement level players. Mm-hmm. Your two inside linebackers have to be better than they were against Atlanta. Those are two individuals that you gave one of which a, a big time free agent contract in Jordan Hicks, uh, who's disappeared in recent weeks. And then Hassan Reddick, who we were getting starting to get excited about, had just one of his worst games as a pro, was consistently beat by the tight end, was out of position in the run game. They, those two individuals have to be better. The Cardinals don't have, right now at least on their roster, a capable inside linebacker that can play the run in the past like somebody like Carlos Dansby could do. Forcing turnovers, uh, passes deflected, that kind of thing. And then, of course, on the back end, they don't have a rangy free safety or even the top-tier corner outside of Byron Murphy to, to come on and, and, and make those you know contested plays on receivers. They don't have anybody outside of Byron Murphy that can do that. Now, they're getting Peterson back this week, but – Again, I don't for for fans that were frustrated with the defensive effort, I get it. But what were you ex- expecting against Atlanta, even at home? Um, the complacency in the second half, sure, that has to change. You don't want to see a collapse like that. But uh, I think you just in the in the NFL, you never apologize for victories. You take that win, and then you hope now with Peterson, you know, in the fold, and this unit is relatively healthy outside of Peterson and Alford not not playing the first, you know, however many weeks of the season. The defense now, I think we will start to see take more shape. I think you get some, you get some really favorable matchups now. You get the Giants, who are starting a rookie quarterback. I, I don't care if the Saints are undefeated without Drew Brees. They don't have Drew Brees when the when the Cardinals play them in late October. They look pretty um, conventional and underwhelming against Jacksonville. You get San Francisco, who's great defensively, but you know, Jimmy Garoppolo looks average. He looks like another Kirk Cousins. You get the Buccaneers. You get the Rams that don't look like themselves. You get the Steelers with the yeah, backup there's quarterback. An opportunity to stack wins here, and that does really, I think, start with being able to go out and beat a rookie quarterback on, mm-hmm. with a bad defense on the road. Now they've got Saquon and other stuff. We'll get a little bit into that preview as well. But I, I did want to bring up a kind of a, a thing I've noticed, John, and that's we've seen the offensive line improve. It seems like almost weekly in some cases. Now some of that potentially I do think is, a, is attributed to the Cardinals have gone from playing, you know, one of the toughest defenses in the Panthers in the NFL and a blitz-heavy team on the road in Baltimore. There's more comfort in the offense. They've been able to use, I know, the clap count a lot more, which maybe that's been just time to get through with all of that. But we've seen the offensive line been able to improve. We've seen Murray yep. improve. To me, uh, I the defense has not improved. And as a result for me, it's like almost feels like Patrick Peterson is like the savior who's going to have to come to save the Cardinals. And we all know that one player isn't supposed to necessarily fix or solve a defense. Maybe two players with him and Alford changes a few things if Alford's able to come back for the end. But I just wonder, John, do you think right now how much of this is kind of a talent issue? And some have even questioned this with Cliff and Kyler. I I think that it's a package deal for both of them. We can clearly see that with the calls and the execution. But how much of this do you think is schematically Vance Joseph? And how much of this is the talent they have? Because I know that Jordan Hicks has still been playing fine in the run game. Um, which has been helpful to see in some cases, but it hasn't been there in the past game. That's where they've needed him the most. How much of this is ultimately the three rookies that's there? So it's having to adjust versus, you know, my biggest fear is I still see the same kind of predictable, oh, we got rushing four. They're not really getting pressure on Matt Ryan. And then suddenly I'm seeing that they're having all out blitz ready and he takes a hit, but he burns them big time to a tight end who comes open in a zone. And it's a concern for me because Either way, while I think the defense is able to uh, 
improve overall. It has me worried that the Cardinals may end up finding themselves in potentially more Panthers-like situations if a team that's not the Falcons struggling on offense in the first half starts putting up a lot more of those points and then it turns into the end of the Panthers game. But what are some of your thoughts on some of the root causes of this defense? Because I think that has a lot of bearing on the future of this team. Yeah, I think it's majority is talent. I probably go somewhere in the neighborhood of 60-40. Vance hasn't been good this year by any stretch, but I do think that the, the lapses overshadow some of the, the good that they've done in, you know, outings against, you know, Baltimore, the first half against Atlanta, um, you know, a couple possessions here or there. But I just think uh, the defensive line is star for talent, impact, big-time talent, Um I think most of the Cardinals defensive linemen right now would be rotational players on good teams. It's not a knock on them. Maybe Corey Peters would be a starter. Maybe not. Uh, The linebacking core has an aging Terrell Suggs at 36, Chandler Jones, who's still a really good player. And then two inside linebackers who get lost in games. And then the back end, you're starting multiple rookies. And for the most part this season, you start in in, an over the hill DJ Swearinger who still hasn't been signed yet. So I, I find me the impact defenders defensively. You can't the Cardinals right now. And I think it's in the, in today's NFL, I just got done praising Kingsbury, but I'll, I'll contradict that by saying it's easier to, to scheme up offense than it is defense with the rule changes. You're seeing backup quarterbacks have immediate success. That was unheard of 10, 15 years ago, defensively. Now, when you're, when you're not able to touch anybody, when flags come, you know, seemingly every possession, um, the Cardinals are in a position right now where they're just looking to survive and hang on because they can't force turnovers because that they are, I would say they're overly dependent on Chandler Jones to, to make something happen because outside of that, you're, you've got a, a safety who we like in Buda Baker that does not have a career interception. And this is his third season. We talk about how he's an ascending player. I don't know if you can pay Buda Baker the money, the kind of money that he may think he's worth when you don't create turnovers at safety, when you don't have splash plays. Yeah, you're, he's a box safety versus the playmaker to take away, and I'll, I, I'll be curious I, if that's going to be more of his role with the with the less Thompson, and now that you're going to get hopefully a true slot corner back. But I, I'm with you, John. That it, there's plays that are being made that are doing, but it's not like you're going to be putting him at a level of, but um, like you're talking with the contract, Honey Badger. Was was given out right it's probably unfair to look at the two but I do think that I agree with you of how much of that is scheme versus player it feels like at this point uh, you're in year three of all of it you got a hard year around the Wilkes year but at some point you do have to kind of I would argue who you Byron are. Murphy has made more splash plays in his however many games to start this season that I've seen at least from Buda Baker in the past yeah, two years that's fair, and I, I do think that's actually forced to fumble this past week. I mean, he's all over the place, and yeah. Baker kind of was a top ten talent on their board. So maybe that's part yeah. of it was that how sure it fell. That, it has to do but, with it. So yeah. you got to feel good about Byron Murphy and Peterson. I know I've, I've been adamant that they should move Peterson for picks at this point, but if you if you stick around with those two players, you're going to improve. Um, I think the Cardinals will take the route. I could be wrong, but I, this at least what is what I think is there's going to be much more defensive talent. In free agency, you have 80-plus million dollars in cap space. I think offensively, they'll continue to build through the draft. But we're seeing teams have revivals defensively that have really sunken significant resources into those units like Green Bay. Um, And, of course, the Niners come to mind. That takes time. I mean, you've got to really hit on a couple high-end players in the draft, pass rushers, defensive linemen. Um, the Cardinals don't have those kind of players on their defense. They missed on, on far too many front seven players. Reddick, um, I would put in that group right now, of course, Kim Dietschy. 
Um, they let Marcus Golden walk for a nickel to the to the Giants, who they play this weekend. Um, Daryl Washington situation blew up in their face. They brought an over the hill Carlos Dansby back. The the safety position has kind of been in flux since you mentioned that we Tyron Matthews gone, Tony Jefferson's gone. I mean, you're talking, and then of course Calais Campbell leaving. You're talking Rashad about Johnson. It's never Rash- been the same yeah, since Rashad highest, Johnson left. I am players that have been allowed to walk player. in free yeah. agency, and and you tried to. I don't know if it, it cheapens the right word because they have paid their their quality players, but they just they've done a poor job. Kime has done a poor job in identifying cornerstone players defensively, and that right now they're paying for it. Yeah, I think that the last few years, this is kind of a new era, and we'll see how it goes for the rest of the season. This is a Cardinals team that maybe there's surprises that are still in store. I, I think the biggest struggle, obviously, will be the overcoming how things are in the NFC West right now, considering that uh, the NFC North is probably the strongest division in the league right now. Um, I don't think I can object to that, especially looking at the defensive play of the Lions and the Chicago Bears as of late. Vikings also had a win with their, they're a four win team, which is crazy to think about after um, with how they've been playing and all the struggles that you'd think they've seen. Stefan Diggs had three touchdowns. I didn't want to talk a little bit, at least about two things before we kind of get into our preview. And the first one is like you mentioned, Patrick Peterson's name is popped back up into trade rumors for the most part. And I do think there's a lot of fans who are questioning, asking, there's a lot who are just like, no, don't do it. Don't trade him. You don't want to give up on that talent. There's others who I think are like you in the case of are looking at a rebuild and the age that the player is. Uh, I know some of the concern you can have is, is this going to be another type of Calais Campbell situation where you regret letting him walk? So I think for what it comes down to is the same thing. I, I feel like it's always been, it depends on if Patrick Peterson wants to stay here or if he feels like he's best served heading to a different team. And I think we'll be able to know that. uh, I mean, not just by the trade deadline, but from his play on the field, I think we'll tell a lot too. Is it going to be a spot where he's really going out there pushing, trying to impress? Is it lifting the whole team? Is it kind of something where he's bought in with everything else? I I think that'll be something I'll be looking for for the most part. Um, uh, what, What are some of your thoughts on Peterson's return to the team, John? Yeah, I think I think it's a boost for this season, absolutely. But I can elaborate a little bit more on my thoughts on why I think they should deal him. He's going to be 30 years old. He's off uh, a performance-enhancing uh, substance suspension. Um, he's going to want a new contract at the end of next season. And this Cardinal team is looking better in recent weeks, but they've still got a ways to go in the rebuild. Um, and I think defensive backs generally fall off a cliff after 30 years old. We saw what happened to Darrell Rivas. I mean, these corners – that rely heavily on speed in the back end, unless they transition to safety and you're going to pay Peterson, you know, high end corner money to, to return as a corner, not a safety. Um, things go South quickly. It's not the same thing as Calais Campbell. Campbell, you could argue was played out of position in Arizona, still had good football left. Um, defensive linemen can play longer. Um, and I think he was just out to prove the Cardinals wrong. Peterson has been adamant that he doesn't want to play for the Cardinals anymore. Now he's walked that back. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I just think that at the end of the day, the Cardinals are winning games without Patrick Peterson. Yes, their defense has been atrocious in the process, but you took a corner 33rd overall that looks like a number one corner. You can absolutely, right now, because of the fact that the, the Jaguars are dragging their, their heels and, and not wanting to trade Jalen Ramsey, which would set the market, um, teams are going to be desperate. I think you could get a, a late first from a contender like a Philadelphia, like a uh, maybe a Baltimore, maybe a Kansas City um, for Patrick Peterson, and you could use that pick on a front seven player that would help you immediately. 
how much more is this franchise going to get out of Patrick Peterson? Let's say they give him a three to four year contract extension. You're going to, you're going to pay Patrick Peterson big time money into his thirties, or can you cash in on the last legitimate resource you have to build this team up and to, to increase your hopefully Super Bowl window um, instead of clinging to really what's been a very, um, a relationship that the Cardinals have benefited from, but now it's I, it just, in my opinion, it would be best to move on. People I think are, are very uh, sentimental about this kind of thing. They're a little bit short-sighted because look, you're not making the playoffs this year. Maybe, maybe if things break correctly, you can be in contention next year that, but look at the division it's loaded, play right. the long game for once. Do not sacrifice um, more dollars in a player, just in my opinion, you can think differently, more dollars in a player that will likely decline during his contract. Do the wise move, and I get it. I think the biggest pushback for this plan by me is that Kime gets to make the draft pick, and that's mm-hmm. fine. If you want to be skeptical of that, you have every, every reason to be. But, I mean, two first-round picks in a, in a draft that's going to have immense talent on both lines of scrimmage Cardinals have so many needs on this roster. Don't for a second think that Peterson's going to fix everything. Maximize your value right now and and go get picks to help Kyler Murray in 2020 and beyond, not just for these next two seasons. That's just my take. I think, I think he's going to be helpful this year. Of course he is. He's he's Patrick Peterson. That's why teams are looking to, to bring him on, but just say, okay, you know what? We're going to allow Patrick Peterson to, to be traded to a contender. We wish him well, but I'll end it with this, Blake. The Cardinals have low self-esteem and they don't want to see another player have success elsewhere where in reality you've made playoff bursts with Patrick Peterson. You went to the NFC championship game. It's not like he's never tasted postseason success. And if he goes somewhere and wins the Super Bowl, then you congratulate him and you take your pick and you rebuild and you try to build your own Super Bowl contender. But I mean, if we're betting on him being a part of a Super Bowl run with the Cardinals, I think that's a bet that's not likely to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, and for me, my take has always been that I think that your preference would be to keep Peterson through that team just because if you know his talent and as long as he's able to play at the same high level the next few years, not have to worry about future suspensions, that's going to be very interesting. I think that's a huge part for him since he does want to get his next payday there. And I think that he knows that. It's not like he's already been paid like how Daryl Washington's situation was. He's still at a spot where – um, there's been consequences and there's obvious excitement that he's returning to football. If that excitement is that he's returning to the Cardinals themselves, then I think that's where you make the move and say, Hey, I'm fine with reaching out and extending you. We can offer you at least probably you'd put a four year deal. You'd be looking at at least probably three years of high play. There's very few players in the NFL who are, I guess, not only guarantees to be able to be as consistent as him, but are even guarantees coming out in the draft. Um, there's, areas for if it's a later first if it's an early first it still is going to be a gamble um you don't want to end up seeing a i think of a situation like the oakland raiders who you traded khalil mack you got a lot of picks back for it but the pass rush you replaced mack with has not been nearly as effective as khalil mack would have been but you're still able to see at least forward progress and they made the most out of it they were able to get a huge haul for him and they even got an extra second that no one thought that they were gonna um, give back to the bears yeah but that that was mack's first big contract track oh yeah Peter's definitely different third and he's a, he plays a completely different position that erodes after 30 fans and they've had success with peterson the the raiders bungled that everybody knows it this is the cardinals need to maximize peterson's value now because at the end of the day he's not going to improve you're going to get maybe one or two more good years and then 
it's going to start to erode. Give them to a contender now that has a window. There's a reason that there's a sense of urgency from some of these teams because they're, they're trying to win a Super Bowl this year. That's not the Cardinals' goal. Yeah, that's where I think there's uh, that's where I think there's arguments for both sides. The hard one, I know, at least just for the uh, you know, I guess maybe not the pro or anti, but for that side with Patrick is you spent all this time, all of these years trying to find that second partner for him. You finally got that guy in Byron Murphy, and you get about what ten games with him or so before you then ship Peterson off. It's still going to be a hard pill to swallow if that is the case. Uh, if it is the case that he does stay uh, and then the play does decline, then it's going to be a similar pill to swallow. Um, I have no idea, honestly, what the team is going to look at. I think that's because we know what the team would prefer and like to do, which I think is they'd like to kind of put him in the same vein of, you know, trying to follow up with a Cardinal for life. I don't know if that's going to be the same from Peterson's camp. And it's tough. You know, money, they say, fixes a lot of issues. But when you've got open trade demands, it's part of why there's a lot of these rumors out there. Uh, let's go ahead and one more thing I wanted to bring up, at least this will be interesting. Um, we've talked a little bit about the offensive line play, at least of how that's been improving some. Um, we can probably talk a little bit, I think, on a future podcast about the offensive line play for the most part. Um, what I did want to spend a little bit of time going over is the defense in the NFL. We A lot of players uh, – for the Cardinals on the offense have seen improvement. The defensive players for the most part have not. So we've got a lot of questions down of people asking like, Hey, like should, should the Cardinals be looking into the defensive side of the football at all for that one? So uh, I wanted to bring up at least maybe not possibilities, but just talk a little bit about what you're seeing with some of the upcoming, whether it's the draft or whether it's players. I know that um, just to cap off the Peterson thing. The only name that I even kind of floated out that I would look into as far as any sort of trade would have been seeing if you could kind of do a little swap of, hey, Buccaneers and Bruce Arians, they know that scheme with Todd Bowles. They even admitted yeah. they considered trading for Patrick Peterson this year because B.A. wants to win now. He has to win now with that age, with that staff. Uh, they've scarcely been using O.J. Howard as a tight end, as a receiving threat. He's also a dynamic blocker. It was almost an interesting, hey, like – is this something where the Cardinals potentially offer Patrick Peterson? Maybe you don't have a like first, it. but if you were able to take, that would be the only kind of, I don't know, a player for player trade we get off of. Uh, I know there's going to be more things. We'll talk about some of these upcoming rumors uh, with one of our own NFL insiders in a few weeks, I think, unless, you know, well, something crazy happens before then. But I, I did want to at least capitalize and talk on the defensive side. It doesn't seem like there's that players that can really help the Cardinals. Now you're already getting those guys back in Peterson. And then uh, assuming that Robert Alfred is going to be making a comeback for off of IR this season. Talk about the upcoming draft outside of a guy like a Chase Young, who honestly, after that game, the Falcons are closer to getting Chase Young than the Cardinals, I think, would be. Um, I also think that Jeff Okuda, the cornerback out of um, Ohio State's probably going to go top five. It just seems like he's the next of those great OSU corners. People seem to like him better. What are some other possibilities that you see? Because I think the Cardinals could use help at all three levels of defense. What are some of sure. whether it's positions or players that you're seeing? I, I just can't see them taking an inside linebacker super high. Maybe you do end up trying to address that need for the yeah. most part. But what do you see as far as for possibilities for the Cardinals? Is it worth saying that they should stick on the offensive side or – should they look at the defensive side of the ball early in the draft? Yeah, I would, I would, I think it really depends on where they're picking. They're going to pick 14th right now. If you can believe that a couple Tankathon, weeks yeah. <laughs> ago, we, we were thinking they would have a, a for sure top five pick and they may still. Um, but I, I think we can see right now, there are a lot of other uh, really poor rosters around this league that don't have a Kyler Murray. 
listen, I, I would still be lean heavily offensively and, and go offensive line. I think it's never a bad investment protecting your quarterback. Just depends on how the board falls. But if we're if we're sticking with some of the defensive guys that are that are being talked about going high and, and would they fit a position of need for the Cardinals? I think the kid from Auburn, Derek Brown, who's a really nice um defensive lineman that can penetrate from the interior, something the Cardinals really don't have right now. Um, he's been compared to, to Calais Campbell. He's got big time size at six, six over 300 pounds. He's a player I would look at um, the Simmons, the, the safety from Clemson. There's going to be a lot of talk because of the fact the Cardinals can't force interceptions that they need a rangy safety for me to take one high. You've got to be in the kind of Derwin James mold. And um, I think he fits kind of that class. I'd like to see more of him. Diggs, the kid from Alabama, the corner, although I don't think they go corner, um, is is a nice player. Stanford's got a nice corner. Um, but, no, at the end of the day, I, I would still go offensive line. I think um, if you can – if you let's say they're picking in the, in the mid-teens, Blake. You're going to have a chance to get the best interior offensive line in the draft. That's usually where the top guard center goes. Um, and I know that's not a sexy pick, but – I would just continue to pump resources into this offense. I would try to piecemeal this defense together situationally. Mm. You see now with the way the contenders are built in the NFL that quality pass rushers are always available via trade to contenders. The Cardinals got one in Chandler Jones. Um, Jadavian Clowney was um, stolen essentially by the Seahawks because they did a nice job manipulating their cap. Frank Clark was traded. D. Ford was traded. And a bunch of those guys are going to hit free agency. I mean, you can rebuild your, your path in free agency. You can generally find a quality interior defensive lineman in free agency. The Niners have a really nice linebacker named Quan Alexander who's balling for them. They picked him up in free agency. So yeah. I get it. it I, it's so cliche to say, and it's a cop-out answer. I would stick to my board, of course. Like, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt if there's a Byron Murphy sitting there in the middle of the first round that they had a top five grade on. But that's also – you know, bit them in the butt after the Hassan Reddick deal that they said the same thing about. So to me, I, I think, I think you can look at front seven and or offensive line outside of an elite pass catching receiver. That's how, that's where I would go. I would can try to control the line of scrimmage. Um, the Florida's got a nice defensive line. John green, green, Greenard, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Roquan Davis is a, a defensive end from Bama. That that's, that's a good looking player. I mean, there, there, there are quality players abound. What the Cardinals need to do is they need to ensure that uh, – not ensure, but root for a bunch of these quarterbacks to, to continue playing well because I think we could have three or four first-round quarterbacks. And um, with the way the board is going to be falling, you're looking at Miami, Cincinnati, um, who knows, maybe the Redskins again, um, you know, maybe the Chargers. Some of the, a lot of these teams are going to need a quarterback, um, and that only benefits Arizona. We thought that that was going to be the case last year. Maybe it was just a year too early where the Cardinals got a bounty for, you know, a franchise quarterback uh, selection and, and trading out is always going to be an option too. You know, Kime would love to do that um, if he misses out on a top prospect. So uh, I would go front seven or offensive line. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it as far as with the uh, potential future. I, I do think that you want to, even though the defense may be considered the bigger weakness at this point, 
I think that you want to build around an offensive identity first, make sure that you have an elite offensive team built, and then keep adding pieces to the defense over time. As we've seen quickly with the Arizona Cardinals in that 2015 team, the defense fell apart quickly. Uh, we know a lot of that, I think, is just because it comes down to who's your quarterback, who's your play caller, and do you have uh, enough weapons and enough protection for them to be able to be effective in being able to generate offense. And then it's really about hitting these brilliant moments where you've got all this talent at the same place. Uh, the Seahawks had that with the Legion of Boom for a few years. The Rams had it even, oddly enough. Um, last year they were still giving up probably quite a few points a game, but they still have had – you know, Marcus Peters on a deal, Akib Tlaib at a time, Aaron Donald, and you're looking at them a year later, and that team doesn't look like it's even close to getting back to the Super Bowl. Much less, that might even be a playoff team. So I think that you want to build for the long haul with the offense. Um, I would love to see either Murray get a franchise you know, tackle or a franchise wide receiver if yeah. you have to with one of those. But here's the thing that's going to be interesting, and this will be kind of where I think we'll get toward near the end of our conversation just before our preview tonight. Cardinals, when you look at the math, they've got some winnable games coming up. You've got the Giants game is winnable. We know the Saints have looked really, really strong, but they also have Teddy Bridgewater now. Granted, they're in the Dome, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But it's not like they're an offensive juggernaut. Now, the Cardinals are not a defensive juggernaut either, but they will have Patrick Peterson back for that game and Michael Thomas. You've got games, obviously, like you even talked about with the Bucks game, and then the last two games against the Steelers and the Browns. And then even the Rams game at the end of the year, the Rams looked like a beatable opponent. If you can get pressure yeah. up the middle on Jared Goff, he's been really struggling, and they just lost another lineman to IR. So if you look at that schedule, John, this is what's interesting. The Cardinals have two wins and a tie. Yep. If you can go in and beat the Saints, you're hopefully going to beat the Giants. And now that's, I think, where a lot of it starts. Is Not that you'll be favored in that game. I don't know if you will. It might be that it's on the road in an early – you know, it's not an early morning game. It's a 10 a.m. game at least. But if you can – end up pulling off the Saints game, all of a sudden things start to kind of fall in place where you've got a couple of key swing games, like the Buccaneers game becomes a swing game, your divisional games become swing games, and then the Steelers game and the Browns game. The Browns, unfortunately, at least for the team this year, look a very beatable team. Baker Mayfield's tossed an interception in every game so far. He's really just kind of been a turnover machine and hasn't been able to generate a lot. The Cardinals will hopefully have their core secondary will be healthy by then to be able to deal with the likes of it. And the Steelers are on a third string quarterback. They took it to the chargers on a, a bruised and bleeding chargers team for the most part. They're built around the run game for the, for the most part, John, if you're able to pick up three games this year out of the NFC West, you've already lost one, but if you can pick up three games in the NFC West, you're looking at potentially like about anywhere from eight to 10 wins, if that's the case, which is kind of a shock because that would be, ahead of schedule now granted that would be obviously the schedule playing into your favor we originally talked about how schedule looked like it was brutal on the back end you're playing the saints you're playing uh, obviously the buccaneers on the road were looking sure. like a, a more difficult team still a todd bulls defense against a young quarterback and then the rest of the nfc left because the rams have looked more beatable and because the cardinals against the steelers and browns have infinitely changed expectations Hey, like, John, is this a spot where we're talking about a potential top 10 pick for a team 
but is it going to be a spot where they're even going to be in position for that or even in the top 15? Like, is this, I don't think this is a playoff team necessarily, but this is a team that maybe we're talking more, this is closer to a 2013 team that we thought because of them being able to make a run offensively. Like, do you think that that is hyperbole or do you think that this is more of, Hey, we played two bad teams. They've got some teams that are coming up. I, I think I'm kind of split on that 50, 50, but a little bit more open to some of that chance. If the Cardinals offense keeps progressing as they have been, don't you think so? Yeah, I'm not ready to go that far. I think it's, <laughs> and that's, a, it's a possibility. It's more of that. I think it's more of maybe it's something to talk about, but I, I kind of am with you on that there. Yeah. No, I think that if they avoid double digit losses, it's, it's a phenomenal Ooh, season. I man, think if they, good prediction. if they get to six wins, which would do it six, nine and one for where this team was. And then you're talking about still finishing fourth. So you get a fourth place schedule next year. Uh, which is key if you want to talk about entering the eight or nine win um, territory uh, next year. I mean, that if you think about it, they got to win four out of their next – how many games they have less? Four out of their next ten. Um, can they do that? I think so. I think they're not – I don't think they're going to get swept in the division. I think they're going to win this Sunday. Um, and I think there's a possibility that, you know, at the end of the season – they're going to be playing a Rams team that's going to be in flux. They could play a Browns team and a, and a Steeler team that are completely out of it at that point. So, and then you've got Tampa who can't stop turning the ball over. So four more, excuse me. Yeah. Four more wins this season. I'm going to be sold on this team taking a big leap next year because you, you, you would have told me this year they would have avoided 10 losses. I would have said you're, you're out of your mind. I thought they were go five and 11, I think at mm-hmm. best. Um, so still a long way to go. Uh, injuries can derail a season, you know, regression, that kind of thing. But I don't, I don't think they can get any worse defensively, especially with Peterson returning. And I think we're only starting to see what they can do offensively. Mm-hmm. So knock on wood, God forbid, outside of an injury to Kyler Murray um, and maybe, you know, losing a couple of pieces on the offensive line. I think they're probably going to end up with somewhere around six wins. And that that's a huge that's a huge feather in not only Cliff Kingsbury's cap, but Steve Kime. Steve Kime's going to be able to say, come 2020 and what I'm going to do in free agency in the draft, because he w- he's going to keep his job, folks. Um, the, the Murray experience with Kingsbury is working. It's working well. Uh, Byron Murphy is, is, is playing high at a high level. Um, Chase Edmonds is playing well. He was a kind pick. So I, I, just, I think that this team's going to look to, to, to make a leap in, in 2020, and if they get to six wins, I'll be all in. But let's see it. Let's see him get to that point, not have double digit losses. Um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I think you do take it one game at a time. We don't want to be coming back next week and talking about how the uh, Giants were able to get pressure on Kyler for the most part. The offense didn't wasn't able to run the ball as effectively and Saquon Barkley ran all over. Like that's that's what we don't want Certainly. to talk about for that one. But, and, yeah. and that's where I think where you're talking about some of the teams you were hoping to still see steps and continual growth. I think while keeping expectations lower is better, obviously. Like but I do think it is a season to season. You only get to experience this team once. Um, The Cardinals are, uh, as we go into it, going to be almost halfway done with the season. Once we get done with the Giants game, there'll be one game after that. They'll be officially 50% of the way through. Um, that's something where you just got to have to say the way that Kyler has been playing and what we've seen from it, um, do make sure that you're not missing this, that you're treasuring these different times. Cause you never know what's going to happen with any player in any team. I know there's so much that changes, even just that 2015 season, which, you know, if the Cardinals do win on Sunday, which we're hoping that they do, 
that would be the first time they've won three games in a season since 2015. So that would be a tremendous step forward. They didn't, they didn't even have that in that 2013 season or in the 2014 mm-hmm. season, I believe. They never had three. Uh, I actually take that back. I think they were four and one or three and zero oh to start the year, I believe, in 2014, um, before they had the injury in that Broncos game with Carson Palmer and everything. Um, but for the most part, this is a Cardinals team that's not typified with winning, and we can clearly see that the talent level is not there enough to keep up for it. So we'll see. I'm, I'm still curious how much of the uh, Kyler decision was Steve Kime because that's going to be really interesting if you uh, give Cliff the credit for Kyler and Kime gets the credit for Byron uh, – excuse me, for – uh, maybe not even Byron Murphy, since he was clearly the top player available. Even to someone like me, you know, I felt like I could have probably made that pick. But if Cliff gets the credit, or Cliff gets the credit for Kyler, and Kyle gets the credit for Vance Joseph, then maybe you end up talking about some of that. But we do want to have to see this team take a step forward and root for them week in and week out. So as we do that, with the kind of wrap up, this is our only episode we'll have for the week. Um, let's take in some of those predictions. What do you think is going to be the case for the Cardinals against the Giants this next Sunday, John? to you i think they're going to score in the upper 20s i don't think they'll hit 30 again because i do think james betcher is a competent defensive coordinator and they do have i think 10 days to prepare they played on thursday night a week ago so i I do think the cardinals win i think they win 27 24 maybe a last second zane gonzalez field goal to walk it off um it sounds like barkley and ingram are going to play that's going to be a tough matchup for the cardinals but again they get peterson back that's a that's a huge lift And you would think Christian Kirk is going to play this week after being close a week ago. So, again, they've started fast the last two weeks against Cincinnati and uh, Atlanta in terms of being able to put points up early. I think that trend continues, and they they walk out of the Meadowlands with a victory. Yeah, that'd be nice to see them. I I have no idea what's going to go on with this team in the red zone another week. Um, It's going to be really interesting. Right now, what I at least have as far as the finals, I've got um, 24-21. I think that the Giants do make a late comeback. I think it is going to come down to a field goal. Um, My assumption is that that'll be the Cardinals with how it's been managed. I just don't think this team is capable. I know I've picked higher scores, I think, each week. I think that they've been maybe less capable of pulling it out. If I had to kind of like, you know, a gun to my head, maybe you could even argue like something similar just to that 26-23 score to the Bengals would make a lot of sense. It's hard for me, even despite the Giants being a poor defense, for me to be able to see them um, doing it. But uh, my big prediction will be I'll predict a special teams touchdown. I know that we saw the, uh, I believe the Patriots got a special teams touchdown blocked. I think that the Giants will have a special teams uh, touchdown, I believe will be blocked by the Cardinals. That'll be maybe returned or at least set them up in good field position. And um, I'm going to be kind of a little bit bold here. I'm going to say that the Cardinals do get an interception this week. And so a lot of people have been talking, what's the return of Patrick Peterson going to do? We know Daniel Jones is a guy who is kind of a YOLO baller. He'll throw it downfield at times. Who do you think will get the first, uh, if we're going to pick an interception? We're going to do this every week up until the Cardinals get a pick. We're going to be trying to pick which is the first player who gets it. So hopefully we don't have to do that. This is the one week we have that, John. Who do you think is going to be the first player to get an interception for the Cardinals if it happens this week? I think it's um, Jalen Thompson off of maybe like a Peterson deflection. Um, I think think that they – one of the two safeties. I'll go Jalen Thompson off of Peterson deflection. 
Yep. I'll go bold and just say that it's actually going to be a house pick six from Peterson. I'll go there because <laughs> yeah, that is bold. And I, I think part of it's bold, but I think that just from the way that we've seen with Daniel Jones with how he holds onto the ball long, I could see um, I, the Cardinals for the most part have been coming closer with the sack fumbles, but Jones essentially does still at least throw the ball downfield. We've seen that the big play that stands out for me was Last week, the Patriots were coming in close. He threw the ball, got the arm hit as he threw. Ball fluttered a bit. I think that he's going to be trying to do one of those plays. Peterson will probably be the one who will be watching the quarterback will pick that thing off. So I'll go ahead and say that's a Peterson pick six. Um, it'd be nice to see that. My second would be Byron Murphy, at least, if he ends up shifting to a different side where he's not having to guard whoever the number one player is. But. I just can't see Kyler Murray losing to Daniel Jones. It's it's a mental block that I have. Um <laughs> That I, I just think Murray is just going to make more plays than, yeah. than Jones. I well, think we'll see. It's Murray team, plays the yeah. best in these kind of games. Yeah, it is a team game. It is a team game. So that's where I think the biggest question I have is if the Cardinals, like if you start the game out where Saquon Barkley drives down the field to get a touchdown, Cardinals go, you get to the red zone, you end up kicking a field goal because you say you have a third down drop from Kirk or something like that in the end zone. Then the Giants go back down. You have an Evan Ingram touchdown. All of a sudden you're down 14 to three. That's where I do agree that Kyler's the one who can bring you back from all of that. But that would be the only concern I would have is I think you need to start fast if you're the Cardinals come out, make sure that you're putting a lot of the pressure on Jones and not letting um, – you don't want to have another third game in a row where you give the give the opposing offense the ball and they march down the field for a score on the first possession. That'd be one improvement I'd like to see. So we're picking the Cardinals win. Um, I, I think what's great, John, is that there's at least room for optimism. We said if you wanted to stay relevant, oh, yeah. you had to win two of these next three games. And guess what? They've won two of the three already. There's a third still to play. If they can win three of three, then they'll officially have not just met expectations, but they'll have exceeded them. And that's what you've hoped for for this team so far for this year. And if they do end up dropping it, well, you know, then at least the team for the most part will have a good sense of where they are and we'll be able to come back the next week for a Saints game that hopefully will be a, uh, a game where they can take advantage of Teddy Bridgewater. Yes, very good. Blake, where can they find your content? Yeah, thanks for listening again tonight. Uh, It'll be on Revenge of the Birds. I'm planning on having another um, kind of editorial article out this week. And we'll probably be – we're still not sure exactly what this team is, but it's great to be able to study a little bit more in-depth on Cliff and Kyler. I'm trying to see if I can pull some film at least and find either some clips or things to be able to go over just some of the evolution of what we've seen from week one comparing to where we're at now. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to get some of those clips at least. It might just be, hey, go to this time in the video or see if I can pull a gif or two. But that'll be it for that. And you can always follow me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Also, uh, if people have been going this whole podcast wondering what my name is, I think I introduced John at the beginning, but not myself. So wow. uh, I'm not ex- I don't sorry. I that either. I didn't uh, until I realized. So I'm not, I'm not a man who needs no introduction. So thank you guys again for who's sticking it out with us. Johnny, how about you? I know that you've been having a, a lot more parody content that seems to be popping up this week and i've actually been laughing a little bit at it too which has been fun yeah it's good stuff um yeah peterson that was the funny one for me oh my gosh i I love going at it with cardinal fans on twitter it's out of love i I promise i'm at johnny touchdown on twitter and then of course uh content on revenge of the birds.com i do a weekly recap of the game uh with with some nuggets mixed in there but yeah come and let's spar on on twitter it's all in fun hopefully and uh yeah, let's, uh, it's always good to interact when the team is playing well because generally the fans are, are very positive, and this is a fan base that deserves um, some consistently quality football. We, we look back to, to so many games last year where it was just unwatchable, 
and here we are predicting a three-game winning streak. Who would have thought? Yep, definitely. That's great news for a step forward for the team. It's all we're asking for. And let's hope that they can end up matching their win total from 2018 on Sunday. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. You can find the Revenge of the Birds podcast. However you listen, whether you found us on places like, I think, TuneIn Radio or Spotify, we're also on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. You can always find us on other podcast sites like Stitcher or even on our regular site, RevengeOfTheBirds.com. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. See you next time, and go Cardinals. We'll